Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner. This week, Glenn has a special interview with a political comedian. Hey, all. Glenn Kirshner here. So friends, I have a quick Justice Matters public service announcement. After posting more than a thousand legal analysis videos over the past few years, going at it seven days a week, my wife and I have decided we're gonna take a short vacation. We're gonna step away for just about a week or so. So I'm going to miss a few days of posting our daily legal analysis videos. Now, while I'm gone, I will be posting some original content, specifically a series that I did with a gentleman named Buddy Winston. Buddy is a legendary comedy writer. He wrote the monologue for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno for years. And I wanted to interview Buddy because he has this sort of justice-centric brand of comedy, at least given what he has been posting these days. And I wanted to talk with him about the intersection of comedy and justice and how he uses and frankly, how we can all use sort of comedy as part of our fight for justice, for decency, for fairness, for our democracy. So that three-part interview series is a, a little bit lighter fare than my usual legal analysis videos, but I am already anxious to get back, back into the daily mix of legal analysis videos, back to uh, fighting shoulder to shoulder with you for justice. Because justice matters. So do vacations. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital.
That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Glenn is on a much-needed vacation, but he's recorded a special interview with comedian Buddy Winston. Buddy uses humor to fight for decency, fairness, and justice in today's America. First, Glenn discusses the comedy gift of Don Jr. and whether Donald Trump makes political humor easier or harder. So friends, as I mentioned, I'm on a short vacation, but rather than have a a Justice Matters blackout, I'm really pleased to be posting a three-part interview series that I did with comedy legend Buddy Winston. Buddy was a monologue writer for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno for years. And more recently, Buddy has been using comedy, including in daily posts on Twitter and elsewhere, to fight for decency, equality, using humor to fight for justice. So in part one of our conversation, we talk about whether Donald Trump has made political comedy harder or easier, and we take on some serious comedy topics like, you know, irony and its place in today's America and in today's comedy when teachers are allowed to choose guns, but they're not allowed to choose books. Let me start by welcoming you, Buddy, Buddy Winston, to the Justice Matters channel. As the folks who ordinarily tune into my daily videos know, I don't do a lot of interviews. I've done more than a thousand videos, but I've done relatively few interviews because I just, I don't think that's where I can add the most value. What I try to spend my time doing is explaining the legal issues of the day that just keep keep our heads spinning every day. People trying to figure out what in the world it means, how to how to absorb it, how to make sense of it, and where do we go from here? But what I love doing is finding people who have this sort of justice mission involved in what they do. So, buddy, when I found you online and, you know, God bless this computer thing and social media, because I started following what you were posting on your timeline and the jokes are, yes, they're funny and they're insightful. And there is this theme of kind of justice and decency and fairness and equality running through the jokes, which is what attracted me to to your work and wanted to learn more about you and about your body of work. I go through your timeline frequently. In the jokes that you're posting on your Twitter time, I wish we didn't have to use Twitter as an example. I wish we could use another platform, but the reality is that's where we're still operating for the most part. It's the devil we know. (laughs) Yeah. And so when I went through in recent days, you know, I see you, I mean, it's such a variety of stuff, but you know, it all has a common thread running through it. You say, for example, and I my delivery will probably suck, but you say, so now the GOP wants us to believe that it's not the NRA, but NPR that's killing us. Anyone know of any fatalities from those tiny desk concerts? Desk concert. And, and you say, this I love, maybe the GOP would be more open to abortion if we called it bellymandering obviously, instead of gerrymandering, you say Trump wants Americans to know that the law isn't coming after him. It's coming after us. 
funny because neither I nor anyone I know got indicted this week. Doing good, Glenn. I might have to write for you now. <laughs> I'm going to take the the interviewer's privilege because a few of your uh, other jokes that I want to touch on, and then I want to ask you about one in particular that raises, I think, an important question of how we can connect with Generation Z today on both the humor and the justice front. But these are too good because Don Jr. is a punchline, right? The oh. man is a walking punchline. And so yeah. when you say things like, Don Jr. is hawking gold now. Impressively, for some reason, he's very good at measuring grams, which I love. And then you the know other what, Glenn, but Glenn, let me just say something about that. Yeah. That's the kind of joke that's good because you don't hit it on the head. You, you have to let the audience take that just a little bit further, right? From gram, what is it? Why grams? And they go, ah, ha. I love that's, that. We have to take a beat to put it together. I love that. And they think they figure it out. They love the joke so much more than when you stuff it, you know, because a lot of people, as you'll notice on your thing, I'll write a joke like that. And then people will will write under it the exact thing as if I somehow missed it. You know what I mean? And the other Don Jr. joke that I saw recently, you said when Don Jr. heard the news that his dad was indicted, he said, this is the last straw. Turns out his comment had nothing to do with the indictment. Again, you gotta you give it that beat, and then you can only write so many cocaine Don Jr. jokes, though. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, they write themselves yeah. when it comes to Don Jr., though, right? I, I, yeah, I know, but what happens is I wind up like beating myself up because to me, after you write so many Don Jr. cocaine jokes, you feel like a cheap slut, you know, <laughs> you feel like, oh, here I go again, you know. So here's the one I want to ask you about, and I love this, and I wonder how many Gen Zers, if they read this joke, would understand what, what you're doing here. You say, good news for Louis DeJoy, the corrupt postmaster general. Good news for Louis DeJoy. Now Trump's photo will be posted where he works. And instantly, when I read that, buddy, it took me back to Point Pleasant, New Jersey, as you know, a junior high kid walking into my local post office and seeing the FBI's 10 most wanted list with the pictures of everybody. That was a common frame of reference for us growing up. I wonder if a Gen Zer would would get that or it would just completely escape. Glenn, you have to understand that a lot of times I'll think of a joke. This happened with The Tonight Show also. I get it. And I want to put it out there regardless. I, I don't care if, I, if it falls to deaf ears. I get the joke. You know, Seinfeld has a joke like that where he says he doesn't understand why they don't arrest him when they take their picture. You know, <laughs> but, yep. you know I, I mean, you know, but it's hard to say because things change. I, I mean, you're right. Uh, people aren't walking into the post office anymore that often seeing that. So, um you're right. They may not get that, but there are people, especially a lot of your followers, would get it. Yeah. You know, if I if I make ten people laugh, I'm happy. I don't need to make a million people laugh every time I write a joke. I, no one's paying me anyway. So, can you tell me, buddy, what is it that has brought you to a place where you know you are using comedy to to fight the justice fight, and you do it really effectively? 
What is well, it that brought you to that? Irony, first of all. You know, I mean, as simple as they don't, they want to arm teachers, right? They're going to allow them to choose weapons, but not books. To me, that, that needs to be said because it's those ironies, you know, you can, you can argue a point back and forth all day, but comedy has sort of a, a tasty delivery system that people welcome and they're not going like this because confirma confirmation bias doesn't allow you, you hear a buzzword and you're immediately like this, right? But when you put a little iron, sprinkle a little irony in it, you know, people get it. And then they think about it for a second. That's right. Teachers are, are going to be able to have guns, according to them, but not choose books. That's kind of crazy. So it's not it's no longer just about the issue. Right. It, it's about the the craziness of the whole of the whole platform. Right. I mean, this whole don't say gay and now they're going to take it to high schools. You know, yet Trump is singing YMCA, the gayest song. I, I figured out why he did that, by the way. It's a royalty thing because one of the village people is a construction worker and he's used to not paying them. So it's, it's like, yeah, OK, use them. So is, is Trump almost so ridiculous that it's harder to find the humor in in, in a guy like that? He he has the potential to ruin certain aspects of comedy. See, first of all, Trump is would be funny if there was a wink attached to the things he does. Pantomime, nicknames, you know, all the stuff, all the stuff he does. Some of it would be funny if we were in on it. But we're just looking at a lunatic. Right. Like when Stephen Colbert says something you know where he's coming from, you, you know, so even if he said something positive that you thought might have been GOP positive, you know it wasn't. So you stop and think. But with Trump, his words, you know, all his words are, are horrifying. And to know that your president, the guy that's representing you, is up there doing, I, I mean, it's horrifying. So it is it is a problem for comedians in some aspect, but you look at Sarah Cooper, you remember her? Mm -hmm. She rose to stardom for simply lip syncing his words, right? She didn't even have to write material. And it was funny because it was coming from a woman who was mimicking him, right? Not from him. So that takes away some of the fear factor and it makes Trump funny. You know, so I have to say people are tired of him and Late night, people go to late night comedy to hear all this. But when they go to a comedy club, they're on a date. They're trying to escape, have a good time. They don't want to hear about Trump. It's not, you know, people try political humor and then they go, the audience was against me. No, they're just tired of it. They want an escape. It's a vacation from Trump, you know, and that's what we all kind of seek, right? Coming up. Part two of Glenn's interview with comedian Buddy Winston. This is Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. 
you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So friends, welcome to part two of my three-part interview series with comedian Buddy Winston. So remind me, where are you, buddy? I'm in Ecuador, in the Ecuador Andes, right near the equator in a little village called Vilcabamba. And is it, it's beautiful, right? It's, uh, it's absolutely magnificent. I don't, wow. know. I, don't know if you, I don't know if you can see that. I can but, see it. I can see it. What, so what possessed you to, to move there? Well, t- uh, you know, there was all kinds of, I left, I left the States when, believe it or not, when Bush declared war in Iraq. That's how long ago I said goodbye to this. And I traveled the world and I was traveling through the um, Borneo jungle looking for a nomadic tribe. And I got bit by a mosquito and I wound up with dengue fever and almost died all alone in the Borneo mountains. And uh, then Fukushima happened. And uh, I got all, you know, it was very questionable what that meant, right? And so I decided um, to come to South America. And uh, I found a, a UNESCO heritage village called Cuenca. Beautiful village, but it, got, it was very busy. And I lived there for a few years. And then I found this little hamlet here that's amazing. You can grow anything. It's 300 and the weather's good all year round. It's uh, it's fabulous. So uh, I wound up meeting the love of my life, got married, and uh, now we're building a house. So uh, it's all good. Good for you. I guess I haven't gotten that far in your book. I'm still with you in Thailand. And, the, book uh, ends, the book ends before I get here. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. The, uh, I'm enjoying the book, though. And, and I have to admit, I jumped ahead a little bit to get a, a little flavor of your time on The Tonight Show. But I'm looking forward to finishing the book because it has made me laugh out loud a bunch, which I appreciate. <laughs> some people, some of the writers of The Tonight Show thought that I should that some of my Tonight Show stuff should be historical footnotes and stuff because I write about stuff that no one else knows, you know? Yeah, and I mean lines like when the woman wouldn't pick up the phone, I guess that was the phone call that triggered the bomb, but when she wouldn't pick up the phone, a line like, you know, I guess maybe she's tied up. I'm sorry, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I love that. The last time I did an interview like this was with O'Reilly, right? I want to ask you about that, too. And that was, uh, you know, you know, he's on he's using the monitor. He's using the cue cards or the the teleprompter. Right. And and I'm just riffing. 
right? And he, he sometimes you can tell he's not even listening to you. He's just doing his thing, you know? Yeah. He also seems to be a little bit evil, but, you know, maybe he's changed. You know what, though? As evil as he was, he called me smart. I, I talked him into um, admitting on the air that Obama was smarter than Bush. It went viral. I got all this hate mail. And then Fox changed the online transcript to make it look like he never said that. I mean, but but he was, uh, you know, the reason I was on twice is because I wrote to him. I said, you know, everything I said to you on the last show came true. If you were a man, you'd put me on and and admit that I was right. He writes me right back. He says, you're on on Monday. And he opened the show with that. He said, Mr. Winston was correct. Wow. I was, uh, I was yeah, say, so I you, you appeal to his manhood or lack thereof, one or the other, right? He said that I was intelligent and he appreciates intelligent people. Okay. So at working at Fox, he did, I'm sure he doesn't get a lot of that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about, you know, the intersection of comedy and justice and comedy and equality and comedy and decency and how those things mesh together and why, at least to my way of thinking, it is so damn important today given where we are. So with that intro, can I just ask you to tell the viewers a little bit about yourself, your backstory, how you got into comedy, and then I want to kind of take on your, your body of work. Well, my first show, my first writing job was actually on a dare. I had no experience and it was pre-Google and they were doing a live uh, Miss Indian, like Native American pageant at the Kennedy Center. And their Native American writer wasn't working out. As I joked in front of all the chiefs, I said, I'm not a Native American, I'm a Jew, but I spell it J-I-O-U-X. <laughs> and uh, they were very welcoming. Burt Parks was the host of, you know, the, the host of the show. He kept asking me what show I'm coming from. And I kept telling him I've never written anything before. And he thought I was joking. So every time I said that, he would bust out in laughter. And every time I told the truth, he thought I was making it up, right? But I wrote the show, and the second year they had the show, Bert Parks told them he wouldn't do it unless I wrote it. So I, I would. That was my first introduction to being able to do this at all. And about what yeah. year was that, buddy? Well, God, I'm so bad with those years because it was a million years ago. I, I, I think it was like near the in the '80s, you know, okay. and. Uh, then, uh, you know, I started uh, I came to Hollywood because the producer told me she'd get me work. She couldn't get me work. But I started writing jokes for comedians at the comedy club and they were paying me 50 bucks a joke and I was raking it in. Then I thought to myself, hell, I could do this. So I started writing for myself and going on stage. And next thing you know, I'm a working comedian. And then, you know, a bunch of stuff happened. But then I wrote Jay Leno a letter. I said, here's what I do. Uh, if you're interested, give me a call. Uh, 11.15 one night, he calls. The woman I was with at the time answered the phone, and she goes, it's Jay Leno. So I take the phone, and a lot of my friends are impressionists and stuff. So I didn't really believe it was him. And I went, hello. And he goes, oh, hi, buddy, Jay Leno. And I said, yeah, and I'm Woody Allen. And he goes, no, no, it's Jay Leno. 
And he said he'd pay me $50 a joke. I started having a lot of the monologue on every single time he was on. I asked the management for a guarantee. They said no. So I stopped doing it. Next thing you know, I had an NBC contract. So that's what happened. And then, uh, you know, I wrote for many, many years and did comedy for many years. But then I stopped because Tonight Show was taking up all my time. And then as you, you'll read my book in and out of Buddy Experience, all the crazy shenanigans that happen after that, you know. Yeah. So how long were you a staff writer, a comedy writer on The Tonight Show? I mean, anybody who's going to watch this, I think, will be intensely interested in what is that like? Well, it was years. I think it was like five or six years. Well, you know, I wrote 50 to 75 jokes every single day, every single day. And, you know, it was like painting the same wall over and over and over again. But there were a lot of perks. You know, I had an office right opposite Jay's. So if a celebrity came, there was no waiting room. So if a celebrity came to talk to him and his door was closed, my name was on my door. I'd be sitting there, Dustin Hoffman, Michelle Pfeiffer, Phil Hartman wound up starting to come to see me after a while, you know, because I was just, they'd come into my office because there was nowhere else to sit. And they just start talking to me till he was free, you know? So it was a very interesting dynamic. And Fred DeCordova, who was the producer of The Tonight Show, this is something you would envy, Glenn. He had really no job. They just kept him on because he was old and, you know, an icon in the business, right? So he would come in my office and tell me stories all day about Elvis and Sinatra and this one and behind the scenes with Johnny. I should have taped it, you know, but after a while, it got to be annoying because he wouldn't let me work. He would just go on and on. And I was so fascinated. I didn't want to stop him, you know, but every day he'd come in my office and tell me historical tidbits. It was amazing. Mm. But back to the writing comedy, you, you write jokes. It's not like the Dick Van Dyke show where you all sit in a room together because comedians, uh, comedy writers are very possessive and they want Jay to know if they create a great joke, they want to know it came from them. So they don't like they don't like that joint thing. You know, I tried to get them to do it one day and it didn't happen because no one would say the good jokes. They keep them for later. But then you write them, you give them to Jay. He wrote dog next to the ones he likes because Big Dog Productions was his production company. So he'd write dog. He'd give them to the secretary. She'd write, put the ones that say dog on cue cards and then he'd go home at night with a whole different staff of comedians and they'd go over one after another and they narrow it down to like 20, 24 jokes. And then that that's the jokes he would do sometimes. So it's always happens the day before, except many times, like we think of jokes right before he went on that had to do with something that just happened, like the dominion thing, for instance, and those would make it on because they were super topical. Right. But most of the time, you know, Back then, Glenn, it wasn't like it is now. The news cycle was daily. It wasn't every 10 minutes, you know, and the media, the, the news channels pretty much dictated what you get to know. Like Trump would never be able to put out all his crazy stuff all the time, you know, every five minutes. It wouldn't make it to the public, right? Because they decide what they're going to put out there. But now with social media, it's instant, right? So if you had a, if you 
uh, had a super topical joke, you'd look like a god. Wow, look how fast he got that. But those days are over. You know, we didn't have Google back then. I had to find my premises in Time Magazine and Newsweek. And when USA Today came out, it was like, wow, a national paper that narrows it all down for you. So, you know, everybody knows it. And, you know, it's simplified to, you know, because that's what you had to do. You are doing something that's the opposite of the whole GOP agenda, right wing agenda, I should say, is that they want to dumb down America. You spend every day educating America. They probably hate you more for that than they do of your legal wrangling, you know. They don't want America to be clued in and intelligent about these matters. Yeah. Uh, Well, it was Trump who said, I love the uneducated, and he meant it. Coming up next, part three of Glenn's interview with comedian Buddy Winston. This is Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So friends, welcome to the third and final installment of my three-part interview series with comedian Buddy Winston. You know, I don't use the word maggots and I try not to put people (laughs) down, even though I disagree with them, um, not only ideologically, but kind of dispositionally. But, you know, I've always maintained, you know, there's no us and them in America. There's just us, different kinds of us, but it's all us. And in a strange way, I feel really bad for the folks who attack the Capitol on Donald Trump's orders and are paying the price, particularly if maybe they don't have the critical thinking skills necessary to realize that when a corrupt president of the United States lies to them and orders them to do something that's clearly illegal, you know, most people I think are entitled to credit what the president says and make their own day-to-day behavioral decisions based on what the president says. And they did that. They're paying the price and he's golfing and going to dinner parties and fundraisers. And there's a deep injustice, not that the people who attack the Capitol deserve to get away with it. They need to be held accountable, but really of paramount concern is holding the general who ordered the attack accountable. Well, that's why the whole executive privilege thing, the word privilege has been taken too far. Like, you know, like this DOJ memo that says the president can't be prosecuted. I'm sure the founding father said, 
you know, the Constitution is what's important. But if someone comes up with a post-it note, that's more important. You know what I mean? It's crazy. And pardon power needs to be fixed. It can't be involved crimes that you're committing and your cohorts that commit them with you. That's crazy. It's a that get out of jail free card that you talked about is crazy. The problem that we have now is the law keeps getting fuzzier and fuzzier, right? And no one quite understands how it works. And they see all these people above the law, the Epstein thing where no one knows who did what. And, and you know, for instance, the pardon power, I mean, the DOJ memo says you can indict a sitting president. Well, I say, what if he murdered, let's say, 100,000 people by mishandling a pandemic, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. So people are sitting there going, well, wait a second. The guy that's telling me to storm the Capitol isn't even getting taken in for killing hundreds of thousands of people. He probably can. He'll probably be fine. We'll be fine. He's committed so many. And what really scares me at this point, buddy, is, you know, I believe he's going to be held accountable for the Mar-a-Lago classified documents crimes. I also tend to believe he's going to be held accountable for crimes associated with the insurrection, his attempt to run roughshod over the will of the American voters and retain the power of the presidency unconstitutionally. What scares me most is that he committed so many crimes in office, just as you alluded to a few minutes ago. He's criminally responsible for hundreds of thousands of avoidable COVID deaths. He extorted and bribed President Zelensky with our money, taxpayer money, congressionally allocated funds. And he committed eight, 10 obstruction of justice crimes as pretty meticulously documented by my old boss, Bob Mueller. And if he is not held accountable for all of those crimes while in office, that is DOJ giving permission to the next nefarious president and to they do gave it all him. over again. And they gave him permission. And, you know, the thing is, look what look at Paul Manafort. He's a tree. He's a traitor. You know, and, and what happens? Not only did he get pardoned, but all those properties we were taking from him that was supposedly paying for the investigation, they gave them back to him. You know, they didn't even take them. And they go, oh, it doesn't seem worth it. People are watching this. But, you know, the thing with Trump is the next thing is so crazy that you you, you can't remember. You know, it's like you have a shopping list and you forget the milk because you got all these other exotic things on the list. He's flooding the zone with crime. And I can tell you from spending decades at the Department of Justice We don't multitask all that well. We want to latch on to one crime that we can investigate exhaustively, I would say ad nauseum, in the grand jury, wrap it up in a beautiful little bow, negotiate a guilty plea so we never have to go to trial. That wasn't my MO, but that is the MO of the Department of Justice. Now, they do those investigations extraordinarily well. And if this were 1950, it would still serve them well. But when you flood the zone with crimes, you need to step it up and handle them all in a different way. And that's what they're not doesn't seem like they're equipped to do. Well, there's another built in problem that you'll have to agree with is that 
The general public doesn't understand the timeline of justice. So what winds up happening is the GOP takes advantage of the fact that if something hasn't happened yet, they act like it was a no, it was a nothing burger and it's not going to happen. And then suddenly Stormy Daniels thing comes to the forefront and everyone's like, oh, come on, that was ages ago. That doesn't matter anymore, you know, but yes, it all matters. And the media lately has driving me crazy because they keep saying, well, this charge with Stormy Daniels is underwhelming and it's going to dilute the other things. It's not underwhelming. There's wire fraud. There's all kinds of stuff involved. Maybe the sex was of underwhelming. I'll agree with that. But but as far as the the charges, he should be charged with all of them. I, I, I'm not you can't say, oh, well, you committed 20 murders. So we'll only charge it for one. You know, they did that with Kyle Rittenhouse. Right. Right before they got to the end, the judge said, oh, yeah, let's drop the charge of crossing state line and blah, blah, blah. Right. And then they acquitted him of the murder charge. So he didn't get charged with anything. Had they kept that charge in there, that minor thing, he would have been charged with something and still maybe gone to prison. Right. Or had a record, at least, you know, you know, this mentality isn't just, you know, it's society. You know, Bill Maher always says that the people that know the problems aren't pushing back. But how? They're not supposed to exactly push back in the way he says. Some people just want to live their life and they certainly don't want to have the pressure of these daily crimes. Trump is an overload. You know what I mean? You haven't rested probably for one day in years. Yeah, you know? I sort of thought my my role in the criminal justice system, seeking justice, not just for victims of crime, but making sure that the system treated justly and fairly everybody who was accused of a crime, because that is a prosecutor's responsibility too, to make sure you prosecute honestly, ethically, and fairly, and that you protect the rights of the defendant. Because, you know, if you're going to violate somebody's constitutional rights to get them convicted, then you ought not be in the business of being a prosecutor. But I did think when I retired from DOJ after 30 years as a Fed, Maybe my justice work was over. And yet now I feel like I've had to try to quadruple my efforts and contribute in whatever way I can. Right. And, I saw, and I saw your post, buddy, about how you thought the Office of Legal Counsel memo was one of the worst things that we had going for us, which is the memo that says a sitting criminal president can't be prosecuted for his crimes, which I think sort of takes us one giant step in the direction of being a banana republic. But you added that now we have something that's maybe worse. What is it, uh, Clarence Thomas? Yeah, he's supposed to make our decisions. You know what I think should happen, Glenn? I think we should do what American Idol does. I think we should get judges that we pay $25 million a season for, right? (laughs) Friends, thank you for tuning in to today's Justice Matters. Chat with comedian Buddy Winston. You can find me elsewhere on my YouTube channel, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And of course, you can find these audio podcasts wherever you generally get 
your podcasts. You can also go to my website, glennkirshner.com, drop me a message or a question. And finally, if you're interested in more formally supporting our all-volunteer work here at Justice Matters, you can go over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron, and if you do, I'll send you some Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks, and you'll get access to some behind-the-scenes stuff about sort of how we do what we do here at Justice Matters. And as always, friends, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all in about a week.